Bedford's News Talk Station. 1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance and the USA Wealth Group alongside Phil Paleologos. Get your finances in order. Money Wise starts now. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Everyone is talking about Money Wise with the Money Guys. Ray Lance of USA Wealth Group here. And good morning, Ray. It's great to see you. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Money Wise. We're so happy that you can join us every Sunday morning at this hour. And our goal from USA Wealth Group is to bring you information that you might find useful for your family. Because our mission at USA Wealth Group is to show you how to protect your family and how to protect your money. And this morning, Phil and ladies and gentlemen, we're very thrilled to have with us attorney Tenny Lance. Good morning, Tenny. Good morning, everyone. Tenny is from what firm, Tenny? It has a name. <laughs> Lance Law, Inc. And we're located on Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth. Well, thank you for joining us. We're going to be talking about... What it means to live in sin. No, I told Deb, actually our marketing director, that I wouldn't use that title. But um, we're going to be talking this morning about what happens when you live together today without the benefit of marriage. Whether you're young people, whether you're young people who have uh, children, which is fairly common today. Or whether you're a middle-aged couple, let's say, living together but you're not married. What are your rights? What things should you do to protect yourself and protect your partner that you're living with? And also, what happens when you get to be older? What happens if you decide, you know, your first spouse has died and now your children are grown and you get involved in a relationship where you're living with somebody else, but for whatever reason you've decided not to get married? What kind of things might you need to do to protect yourself? Because Boy, there are some things that you need to think about. And you know, Tanny, one of the things we're going to talk about today is I know there have been occasions, we're going to get to this in a moment, when you've actually counseled people that they might be better off if they actually got married. Is that right? Yes. And um, the, the reason that I've done it is related to economic issues. Um, there are certainly other reasons, like loving someone, but... Oh, but who's talking about that today, right? We want to get right to the nitty-gritty. Marriage is a partnership, but you know what? Living together is a partnership also. And maybe there ought to be some rules. Maybe there should be a written contract when you're living together. And what happens if the person that you're living with has to go to a, a nursing home or has to go to a hospital or has a medical problem and you care for this person, you've been living with them, but you don't have any documents. What are you going to do? So we're going to talk about all these issues. In the old days, you know, it used to be called you're living together in sin. But I don't think we can use that anymore because it's a fairly common phenomenon in our society, isn't it? Yes. It, it's becoming quite common in, in many, in fact, often most families. So we have a few things to say about why maybe you should get married but a lot of people make the decision to live together without the benefit of getting married. I also want to mention, Tenny, and I know you may want to comment on this at all, this can apply to a heterosexual arrangement. It can apply to a same-sex couple living together, uh, two women living together, two men living together. Um, It doesn't matter what your particular living style is. 
the things that we're talking about today will apply to everybody. But, you know, marriage is a subject of a lot of jokes, isn't it, Tenny? <laughs> Depends on between who. <laughs> <laughs> well, for example, Groucho Marx once said, I was married by a judge. I should have asked for a jury. <laughs> <laughs> There are lots of jokes about marriage, and the funny thing is that this quotation comes from a a whole series of quotations that Deb put together for me. It says, 100 classic quotes about why marriage sucks. That's the (laughs) caption. And it has a picture of a lady in a wedding dress holding a bouquet, and uh, then she's holding one hand up in the air, but there's only one finger pointing. And when Deb gave me this information, she put, sorry for the finger, so, and you know, that reminds me of something. Um, I heard a story just recently about a local teacher who gives advice to her kids about how to behave. And she said, just remember that when you wave, use all of your fingers. <laughs> I thought that was especially cute. Well, we have a few quotes to share. Um, uh, Leonard, uh, excuse me, not Leonard, Leonardo de, da Vinci, a famous painter uh, from the medieval times, Middle Ages. Um, once wrote, marriage is like putting your hand into a bag of snakes in the hope of pulling out an eel, because they were popular to eat at that point in time. But uh, we have a few jokes that we'll share with you this morning, a few quotations that are on the subject of marriage. Um, I'll give you one more, and then we'll get into our topic, and that is, this is from Zaza Gabor, and she said, a man in love is incomplete until he has married, then he is finished. (laughs) So, so much for some jokes about marriage. You know, we'll have some good quotations quotations about marriage also, won't we, Tenny? Yes, I have the nice ones. All right, you have the nice ones. I'll have the, the ones that are a little not so nice. But let's talk about young people in particular. So whether it's two young men living together, two young women living together, or a heterosexual couple, a man and a woman living together, it's much more common in our society today for that to happen. And there's lots of good things about that. There's lots of unusual things about that. It sometimes gives people an opportunity to figure out whether they're going to be compatible and whether they should get married. It's just far more common today than it used to be in the past. But there are some problems, aren't there, Tenny, with uh, people living together? I, I want to mention that Tenny is uh, the um, primary attorney, along with Mike Coleman, at Lancelot, Inc. But what happens if one of them has a medical issue, Tenny? Well, what people don't think about when they live together without being married is the legal capability of the other person to care for the one who might be incapacitated. For example, uh, without proper documentation, Even though you live together, even though you love each other, even though you consider yourself a couple, that other person may not have any right whatsoever to make any medical decisions for you if that uh, should arise, if the need for that should arise, or any financial decisions if the need to uh, take care of economic matters occurs also. So it's, it's, um, it's really important to think through how you are living together and what you have done to uh, make provisions for that. And I guess you might think if you're living together, and let's say we're talking about a younger couple right now who is not married uh, and they have a child, well, 
When they have a child, uh, it will ask you to identify the father on the birth certificate. So obviously both father and mother are going to be recorded on the birth certificate, and you do want to make sure that that happens. But uh, as you said, what happens if one of them needs a a medical uh, decision made? So somebody gets into a car accident, they go to the hospital, and let's say it's the man in a male-female relationship goes to the hospital and he's unconscious. Who can make a medical decision for him at that point, Tenny? Can the woman he lives with? No, and that's uh, the requirement for what's called a guardianship. Very difficult process. An emergency one can be obtained from the court, but it has to be done in court. Um, unless you have something called a health care power of attorney, in which you name an agent to be able to make medical decisions for you. There is no one else in this world. If you are uh, over 18 and you are not married, there's no one else in this world that can make a medical decision for yourself other than you. And so that often requires a court action to get a guardianship. So here we are with a young couple. Um, One becomes incapacitated. Often when a young couple is living together, they don't think about estate planning documents, trust, wills, powers of attorney, health care proxies. But it sounds like they should at least give each other a health care proxy. Wouldn't that be sensible? There are two documents that I think that they should give to each other if they are really serious about staying together. One is the health care power of attorney so that the person you're living with and you love can, in fact, make a medical decision for you. The other document, though, is something called a durable power of attorney for property. Let's say that you are incapacitated, you are unconscious from an accident, and you have bills to pay. You have to pay your car payment, you have to pay your insurance and so forth, but you are unconscious. How does the person that you are living with get to help you do that unless there is a document in place called a durable power of attorney for property. And that allows the agent that you name, usually the person you're living with and love and trust, to make those, um, to, to take care of those matters for you. Well, this is really a, a, a fact of life today. Uh, researchers have found that three out of four women in the United States have lived with a partner without being married by the age of 30, which is an increasing trend in the country. So your recommendation is that they ought to be thinking about having a power of attorney, a health care proxy, and some basic documents, even if they haven't made a decision about whether they're going to get married. That's right. Um, actually, everyone, whether they're living together or not, should have health care power of attorney and durable power of attorney for property. But more important, I think, when you're living together because the other person is responsible with you for your lifestyle, for making sure that um, what you are obligated to do gets taken care of. Well, as uh, Rodney Dangerfield once wrote, my wife and I were happy for 20 years. Then we met. He was, he was great. Let, I used to always love Rod, Rodney Dangerfield. Let me give you a better one. I get no respect. <laughs> um, I, this is an anonymous quote, but it's, being deeply loved by someone gives you strength, while loving someone deeply gives you courage.
Okay. We'll move on. <laughs> Jenny, tell us, if somebody wants to talk to you, let's say, you know, I've, I've seen young couples who will buy a house together without thinking of doing some basic protective documents that are really important. Um, how does somebody reach you if they have questions about some of these things or if they'd like to do some of these basic documents? What's your number? Our phone number in Dartmouth is 508-998-8800. We're easy to find. We're located across the street from the Vanity Fair outlet and the law school. So if you find those two buildings on Fonts Corner Road, we're right across the street. So let's jump back to our young couple once again and say, now we're going to complicate this fact pattern a little bit. They have children. Oh, much more complicated. Who has rights over the children? I guess if either parent can prove that they are the parent of the child, they have automatic guardianship rights. Is that correct? I mean, they're, um, nat they're a natural guardian without okay. going to court. Yes, but if anything should happen to one of them, then... Uh, the guardian needs to be appointed by the court, and in your will is the only place where you can name guardians and conservators over your child's estate. Okay, so there are, there are other issues to consider if you're living together, you're not married, but you have children. And what about inheritance rights, for example? How is that, is that accomplished without, I guess it would be accomplished without a will also, wouldn't it? I'm not sure what you mean. All right, let me um, put it a little bit differently. Um, if something happens to, let's say, the male-female relationship, something happens and the, the male in the relationship, the man uh, dies, what happens to assets that are in his name if they don't have things in joint accounts? Um, not good things for the woman. Um, if that man had a will and actually left something to the, the woman he is living with and his child, then that would be um, probated through the probate court, and eventually she would get access to that. If he had no will and he died what is called intestate, then she has no claim to that uh, estate of his. The child would be an heir, and that child would have some claim, but other heirs of his, other uh, relatives of his, I should say, called heirs at law, would have a claim against his estate. Okay. And if one of them should become disabled also, and there's a need to apply for Social Security disability, I suspect you'd have problems in that situation because you're not going to be able to know who is the pro appropriate person to be named their representative. Somebody's going to have to apply but they might not have legal status. It gets very complicated, and um, you can solve all of these problems pretty much by getting the proper documents in place. And I think we want to be really clear. This is not a push to tell people, go out and get married. Uh, that's a personal decision that you either do or you don't, and you have to decide whether you want to do it. I mean, some people aren't ready for marriage yet. Uh, it's convenient to live together, or they want to check out a relationship and find out if they're going to be compatible with the person they're living with. There might be financial reasons they've decided to live together. But if you really care about somebody, uh, whether or not you choose to get married is irrelevant, but you do need to think about how you're going to protect the other person that you care about that you're living with. And that's really the issue, isn't it? Absolutely. 
It's it's so important to think through, to get some advice, to talk with an informed person about what you should be doing to protect this other person. Well, um, let me give you an actual example, a story. Um, have you heard of the book, The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo? Oh, good book. Yeah, they made that into a movie as well. And um, it was uh, written by a gentleman in Sweden called Stieg Larsson. Uh, Mr. Larsson wrote actually three books. He wrote a trilogy that started out with A Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have read that book. Well, uh, he lived for 32 years with a woman, and they never got married. Uh, the woman that he lived with actually uh, helped him do a lot of research on his books. But he died in 2004, didn't have a will, never married the woman uh, who helped him, uh, Eva Gabrielson. None of the profits from the books that he wrote went to the woman that he lived with for 32 years. Not only that, she doesn't control his literary estate. And in Sweden, much like in America, um, if you die and you don't have a will, your property goes to your next of kin. If you're not married, you have no next of kin. So you don't have to be married, but I guess the message here is if you are not married and you haven't done a will, then you could leave the person who you're leaving behind penniless. Yes, and you just said that if you're not married, you have no next of kin. That's not necessarily the case. If you're not married, your next of kin are not is not your uh partner in that relationship. Your next of kin is what is defined by the law, usually parents, siblings, nephews, cousins, whatever. Children. So you can have the unusual situation if you have an unmarried couple with children, there is no will. Let's say the man in the relationship dies and he had assets that were in just his name. His next of kin might be his child uh, or his parents, as you've mentioned, but it wouldn't necessarily be the woman that he's living with. Right, and if the child is underage and needs uh, assistance in managing the affairs, obviously, he couldn't manage them himself if he was under 18, then there might be a fight about who's the guardian and who's the conservator, the man's parents or the man's siblings or the woman that he lived with and had this child with. So again, we're not suggesting here that it's important for everybody to be married. Uh, for some people, that's not a good arrangement. But if you're not married, or if you are married, make sure you've got some basic protective documents in place. You know, even Albert Einstein chimed in on the subject of marriage. And Albert Einstein wrote, Men marry women with a the hope they will never change. Women marry men with a hope that they will change. Invariably, they are both disappointed. So even Einstein, I'm not sure what his marriage arrangement was, but uh, he had something to say about the subject of marriage. So no matter how smart you are, we all have, all have different views on marriage, don't we? And I had a, a story recently that I have to share, um, and... I'm going to tell the story as if I'm talking to Tenny, but I'm not really talking to Tenny. So I went home and I sat down and with Tenny and I said, you know, sweetheart, at some point you might die before I do and I might decide that I need to date another woman or uh, start seeing another woman. I might even get married at some point in time. Would that be okay with you? 
And she said, yeah, that would probably be okay. And then I said, well, I might decide that I'm going to live in the same house. Would that be all right? And she said, yeah, that would probably be okay. And then she said, well, would she sleep in the same bed that we've been sharing? And I said, probably. Then she said, well, would she use my golf clubs? And I said, oh, no, she's left-handed. Such a bad joke. (laughs) It was a bad joke, but it was cute. Somebody told that story recently and cracked up the entire audience. (laughs) So let's move on from young people, Tenny, and talk about uh, middle-aged people. So I think probably in your uh, practice, and you do mostly estate planning and helping people plan for uh, protecting the family, Um, Have you seen situations in which people have had, say, longer-term relationships of living together? They're not young, they're a middle-aged couple, let's say. Well, yes, that certainly happens, and usually by the time that happens, both of the people who come into the relationship may have some significant financial assets of their own. Um, And what we do in that situation is to suggest that both of them seek legal advice independently and enter into something called a prenuptial agreement. Okay, and a prenuptial agreement means exactly what? What is it? Well, it's an agreement where both of the parties disclose to the other all of the um, assets, financial um, accounts, or whatever that they bring to the relationship so that everybody's totally informed. And then they make decisions about what should happen to those assets if something happens to the relationship. Either they get married and divorced or never get married and separate. But these um, prenuptial agreements can avoid a host of issues afterward. And have you prepared prenuptial agreements? Oh, yes, we certainly have. When do you recommend them? I mean, if somebody has just nominal assets, then do you recommend a prenuptial agreement in that situation? Well, it depends on the definition of nominal. Not always, no. But if you had a house, if you had some uh, significant money in the bank or some 401k accounts or whatever, then it would be important to do a prenuptial agreement. And certainly, I guess, if somebody or even just one party to the relationship has more significant assets, that might be another occasion when you would might recommend that, I would assume. Yes. Um, it's, it's very difficult for people to um, acknowledge the fact that the relationship that they have now may not always be as, as uh, well-maintained and happy, um, and what would happen in that case. Certainly, it's not the kind of thing that you want to spring on somebody two days before a wedding. No, that would not be a good policy, would it? No, that's really not fair to anybody. That says something about the basic relationship. If you're going to wait that long before you decide to do it, you've been afraid to bring it up. Maybe you you don't have trust in the relationship. But I guess one of the reasons for the prenuptial agreement from a a social point of view would be that you want to make sure the relationship's going to last because something like 50% of all marriages do end in divorce. Right. Um, And prenuptial agreements have been upheld by courts as long as, I said, everybody has disclosed everything and had uh, separate independent legal advice prior to signing them. Well, we won't talk about politics today. I wonder if any of our political uh, would-be candidates and so forth have 
had prenuptial agreements before they've been married. That would be interesting to find out, wouldn't it? I would assume that one has. No, no, no. We're not going to talk about politics today. We won't. Some things don't get discussed in a marriage either. But uh, politics is always a dangerous subject in a marriage, isn't it, Tenny? Uh, not always, but sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it is. You know, um, really quickly before we go to a break here, I want to ask you, um, what are the formalities of doing a prenuptial um, relationship or a prenuptial contract? Do you have to have in writing, I assume? Yes, the agreement should be in writing. It should have attached to it the list of the assets that each party brings to this contract, and that's what a prenuptial agreement is, is a contract. And um, each of the parties, as I said, should go to their own independent lawyer to have the proposed agreement reviewed to make sure that the list is complete of the assets. And then if both parties are um, in agreement about it, if they're both happy with it, if, if both agree about what should happen should this relationship break up, and they sign that, then that is a legally binding document. So it's actually a requirement, I think, that you can't have one lawyer representing both parties in a prenuptial agreement. Is that it, true? It would not hold up if that were the case, right, because the uh, each side's advice would not be independent. All right. So a quick summary is you have to have full disclosure of assets on both sides, and each party is required to have their own separate attorney sign off on it. Yes, and um, prenuptial agreements, as we've said, are not always um, the most favored things because people think that they're uh, already looking forward to a breakup of this relationship. But we are often writing the requirements for them into our trust agreements so that parents can be sure if their children get married that they fully disclose and have agreements about the parents' assets. I want to come back to that point in in just a moment. Remind everybody that you're listening to MoneyWise, brought to you by USA Wealth Group. We are located at 352 Fonts Corner Road, We're going to come right back. I'm going to leave you with a quotation from Joyce Brothers, who's a famous psychiatrist, psychologist. She wrote, My husband and I have never considered divorce. Murder sometimes, but never divorce. (laughs) Stay tuned. We'll be right back and talk more about living together without the benefit of marriage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Money Wise. We're here to help you find different ways that you might think about to Protect your family and protect your money. Our guest this morning is attorney Tenny Lance, and we're talking about the subject of living together without the benefit of marriage. And we're not making any judgments. Many people do live together today. We've been talking about what happens when young people live together, and often they just simply don't think about the fact that they need some protection uh, to sign each other's names, to make medical decisions, and things of that nature. And again, Tani, thank you for being with us to talk about these important subjects. I'm happy to be here. We're talking about uh, middle-aged couples getting married. We're going to talk in a little bit about older couples getting married. Well, I suppose now if we're talking about a middle-aged couple and they're living together and they think that they want to get married, they might have children from prior marriages also, right? Yes, and that certainly complicates uh, the financial situation. Okay, it it does that, but it also means they need to be thinking about legal documents. 
And I know sometimes uh, children, especially adult children who have older parents, let's say, who are getting married, sometimes they're in favor of that and sometimes they're not. And we're talking about prenuptial agreements. And I guess one of the reasons that might be important is because when children see their older parents getting married, one of their concerns is going to be, am I still going to get my inheritance later? Uh, Is all the money going to go to the other spouse? It's going to go to the children from the other marriage. And so I guess one of the things you could do is clearly define how you're going to handle finances. Are you going to share equally in the cost of maintaining a home? Um, Are you going to give each other the right to live in this new house that you've bought together uh, for the rest of that person's life? So let's say they get married and the husband passes away. Normally he might want to have the surviving spouse wife be able to live in the house as long as she wants to, as long as she's alive. But you can cover those things, can't you? Yes, you know, it's very interesting that during our recent seminar sessions, um, I was approached by a very nice man who said that he wanted to make sure that everything was in order. He and his past wife had children separately. In other words, they had both been married previously. Both of their spouses had died. One of the members of... uh, the relationship had three children, this man had two, and then they got married. So here they are with an, uh, an intermingled family, three adult children on one side, two adult children on the other. And this man was very concerned because his second wife had now died, and he was very anxious to make sure that, as he kept saying, all his ducks are in line to um, make sure that he had a way of of uh, living in the house and distributing assets. Well, I'm not sure about ducks, but I do know something about chickens because our son happens to raise <laughs> chickens, and I just recently collected a dozen eggs. But I'll t- I might as well tell you that little story. My son went away for a few days on vacation, and he told me, you know, go help yourself to the eggs out of the little roosting box where the chickens sit. He's got five or six chickens, I guess. And I took care of his cats and fed his cats, and Every day I would go outside and I'd open up the little box that has where the eggs are supposed to be. Didn't see any eggs. There's just one chicken sitting in there. I said, okay, no eggs. Maybe the next-door neighbor's taking the eggs. And then I went back just recently, and I opened up the box again. Here's that same chicken still sitting on the, in the roosting box. No eggs. And I figured, I'm going to pet this chicken. I've never petted a chicken before. And I reached down to pet the chicken when I did. The chicken made a squawking noise, whack, whack, and gets up. There's a dozen eggs. This chicken is sitting on a dozen eggs. I said, you son of a something or other. I said, that's where the eggs have been hiding. It this wasn't chicken, a son of, it was a daughter of. Daughter of. This chicken is roosting, trying to make these eggs hatch. And they were all very warm. So I took all the eggs out, and now we have a dozen eggs. Spread them around in the office, and everybody's happy. So... Yeah, we want to make sure your your eggs are in a row, as well as your chickens are in a row, don't we, Tenny? Well, he used that other phrase, so I repeated it. Okay. Well, Mae West once said, marriage is an institution. I'm not ready for an institution. <laughs> but let's come back to our subject of the fact that if a couple 
especially if a couple is, say, middle age or a little older, they each have some assets. Perhaps they have children from a prior marriage. It's really kind of complicated about how you put this all together, isn't it? Because well, well, it is, and um, it has to be thought through, it has to be planned out, and it has to be in writing. Well, and you want to make sure things like IRAs and retirement accounts are covered. One of the things we do at USA Wealth Group, for example, is we want to make sure that people, as they get closer to retirement or even in retirement, have a proper income plan. Nobody wants to run out of income during retirement. You want to make sure it's going to last. So we like to show people how to do an income plan. We start out with a budget. We make sure everybody gives us a budget. That's essential. Then we analyze all the assets, and then we look and see, is there a pension plan, or is there just going to be Social Security, and when should you take Social Security? These are all things people need to look at. Um, And I want to mention one thing about Social Security in just a minute. I don't want to get too far astream. But we want to make sure the income plan is going to be proper and appropriate. And I think these are things that a middle-aged couple getting ready to get married again need to think about. What's going to be your income? How are you going to designate beneficiaries? If you have separate IRA accounts, for example, are you going to name each other? Um, Are you going to name your own set of children on your own IRA because you want them to inherit your IRA? One of the things I'd like to mention about IRA beneficiary forms, let's assume we have a middle-aged couple, and they're in their 40s or their 50s. They're getting married together. Maybe one of them has a pension plan. Maybe one of them has Social Security. Maybe they both have Social Security. But maybe they also have some IRA accounts. How do we want to tell them to designate their beneficiaries? And even making those choices, there are many ways you can do it. One of the things I like to tell people, Tenny, is that you don't have to just fill in the little blank and say, here's my first beneficiary. It's my wife that I'm just about to get married to. Um, Well, what happens to the kids? So if the wife inherits the IRA account and the husband dies, and um, or the other way around, the husband dies and the wife inherits the IRA account, and now this children named as secondary beneficiaries, if she takes over that IRA account, she can make the beneficiaries her own set of children if she wants to and not leave anything for the deceased husband's set of children. So you can do something a little bit more complicated and predictable to make sure everybody is covered. You can equalize benefits through life insurance. You can put on this little blank where it says who your beneficiary is the following words. See attached sheet labeled Exhibit A. And now you can create a much more detailed plan on the back of this IRA account. We've seen people that sometimes will have not just 200000 but 500000 or three-quarters of a million dollars or even more for a retirement account. Well, what happens if it all goes to his surviving wife and then she gets remarried and she names the beneficiary on that account, which is now in her name, to her new husband as the beneficiary, and the kids don't get anything? You can make a much more detailed presentation on your beneficiary designation forms. And you need to focus on that no matter what your age is, whether you're younger, middle-aged, or older. I tell a case about uh, what happened in the state of New Jersey once where a gentleman started to work for a company, had an IRA account, kept contributing to it. 
and he named his sister as his beneficiary. And then later he got married, but he never got around to changing the beneficiary to his wife. And when he died, he had a $1.6 million IRA account with his sister named as the beneficiary. So obviously you can predict what happened. The sister collected the beneficiary account, uh, $1.6 million. The wife filed a lawsuit and said, well, he meant to leave it to me. And it went all the way to the New Jersey Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court of New Jersey said, we're very sorry, but he only had a named beneficiary as his sister. So it really is important to think through always how you're going to set up your beneficiaries. And it's also important, as you always say, to keep a copy of the beneficiary schedule that you make out and make sure that you can prove that you sent it to the company. We have uh, another situation right now where the father died. Um, Probably the mother was the beneficiary, but he may have changed it to the sons. And we cannot get the bank to tell us whether or not it was the mother or the sons and that makes all the difference about whatever rights the son may have in that IRA account. I'm going to invite people to uh, visit us at uh, usawealthgroup.com which is our website or give us a call at 508-998-8858. We're happy to review your retirement accounts, your beneficiary designations. If you're not sure, we're happy to help you fill out new forms uh, without charge Send them in, keep a copy, and now you've got a record. But uh, these forms are critical, whether you're single, whether you're married. Tony, I have a little quiz for you. Here's a question. Why don't melons get married? I don't know. Why do melons not get married? They can't elope. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> Let's that's, go on. That's not a quotation. That's just a little joke. <laughs> So here's, here's another question for you. If marriage isn't a prison, why do they call it wedlock? <laughs> so marriage jokes are fun. There's a lot of marriage jokes around, but uh, so much for the marriage jokes. Let's talk about... Then there's the quote about happy wife, happy life. Happy wife, happy life. I can't tell you how many people have said that. It's called the honeydew list on Saturday. That's what you've got to do on Saturday is your honey-do list. All right, no more marriage jokes, all right? Is that agreed? Very good. Can we sign a contract on that? (laughs) (laughs) All right, great marriage quotations, marriage success. Let's come back. We've talked a lot about prenuptial agreements. Not everybody needs to do a prenuptial agreement, clearly. But I want to ask one more question about prenuptial agreements. What if a couple has both equally contributed to their own resources. They've got reasonable accounts. They're going to get married. They're going to put their accounts together. But what if one person who's about to get married expects to inherit a really lot of money from one of their parents? Can you cover that in a prenuptial agreement also? Yes, you can. All right. So that's another reason to think about a prenuptial agreement. You know, you've talked about some basic documents. We've talked about some reasons that people choose to live together it's all the conveniences of living together and, you know, a, a love relationship as well as everything else, obviously. But there are so many reasons for unmarried couples who are living together to think about how do you handle inheritances? How do you handle uh, immigration issues? What if one person in the relationship is not a U.S. citizen? Well, they have better rights if they get married, so that might be a reason to get married. 
What about buying a house together? What about getting, um, taking title to a house? Um, if you want to buy a house together, the lending institution who's going to give you a mortgage, they're going to want to take into account the income from both sides. I guess in today's day and age, they wouldn't be able to discriminate against an unmarried couple because of the way our discrimination laws. So you can still purchase a house together. You can take title to the house. How? How would you take title to the house if you're an unmarried couple? Probably as tenants in common. All right. And that would mean what? That would mean that if anything, well, if they bought it together and they both contributed the resources to buy the house, then tenants in common would mean that if one of them died, then the half of the ownership owned by that person who died would go to their side of the family. So that might be more appropriate for a couple that has children from prior marriages. What if you have a young couple and they really want the house to go to the other person if something happens to one of them? What would you do then? Then you would probably use the phrase joint, I mean, tenants, um, what am I saying? Joint tenants okay. in the in the tenancy uh, line. All right. And Think about something else that an unmarried couple cannot do. They can't file a joint income tax return, can they? Right. So if they have children, they're going to have to make decisions about which spouse is going to take the children as dependents. I suppose that might allow for some tax planning, but it's something that has to be thought about in the relationship. And um, survivor benefits on things such as Social Security are going to be an issue, especially as uh, people get older. Um, Tenny, are there situations when, let's say you have an older couple who's thinking about getting married, and one of them has a lot of assets in their name, and the other one doesn't have many assets at all, but nevertheless, love rules the day, and they want to get married, and one of them says to you, what happens if I go into a nursing home, the person with all the assets? What do you say to them? I have to look at the case um, independently and separately, but in a situation recently, that very thing happened. Uh, this couple had been living together for a very long time and uh, felt as though they were married, although they weren't legally, and the uh, male member of the relationship needs to go to a nursing home. If that's the case and if that person needs to get on Medicaid, then all of the resources of that person are going to go to support him in the nursing facility, and the remaining female member of the relationship is going to be out in the cold. Okay. So the point, I guess, is that whether you're living together, you really need to think about how you can protect not only yourself, but how you protect your children If you're going to be combining assets, you need to think clearly and logically about how you're doing that. And then certainly if you're thinking about putting resources together and getting remarried, you need to think about all the implications for that, not only if you have separate sets of children, but what happens to your assets if one of you should die. So I know you've seen all those kinds of situations, haven't you? Yes, we see just about every kind of possible Uh, issue. (laughs) So is it fair to say to you that the kind of work that you do is not really boring because I guess individuals and family aren't boring, are they? 
no, it's really boring. We think we could write a book, although um, I'm not sure we'd be allowed to write a book. Well, I guess if you disguise the names to protect the innocent, you could. It would be or the guilty. Strange and funny things I've seen in a boring estate practice, <laughs> right? Something yes. of that nature. Well, let's 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 come back to our main point. Let's come to an older uh, couple who's now thinking of getting married. Um, and again, they've got grown adult children. Uh, certainly, they should have conversation with their adult children. And maybe part of the conversation ought to be that, don't worry, if anything happens to one of us as we get remarried, we're making arrangements to make sure that our own particular sets of assets will ultimately go into our own sets of children. And I would assume, I know I've had that conversation talking about uh, financial assets. I would assume you do as well in um, planning for estates. Yes. And um, there are a number of ways you can accomplish that. Um, for example, financially, you could say, we're going to put certain assets in uh, a trust or another kind of an arrangement. And if something happens to, say, the husband, he wants to make sure that all the income from that will go to support his wife. But maybe the principal gets held aside, so ultimately that would be distributed to his own set of children. Have you done that in uh, trust arrangements before, Tenny? Absolutely. Those are very simple to set up, and we do them regularly. So the main point here ought to be to tell folks that there are things that you can do to make sure that you're not going to shortchange your children. Um, they're going to uh, eventually get their inheritance as well. But yet there are financial things you can do in the meantime to take care of this new spouse that you're getting married to. Let me just ask you a couple of quick questions about the nursing home, because I know you do a lot of Medicaid planning for nursing homes. What do you do when you have a situation when you've got a husband and wife, and they've done a prenuptial agreement, and one of them goes to a nursing home? Does the prenuptial agreement protect their assets from nursing homes for the other person? Uh, no, it does not. Um, the assets of the couple are considered to be uh, joint assets. All right, so that's an important point that think people think need to think about as well, which is if you've got one person with very low assets and another person with very good assets, but they care about each other, they want to get married, and again, let's assume that the husband has more assets and he has to go to a nursing home. Uh, those assets are all countable. Or assume it the other way. Let's assume the person with no assets, and for purposes of the example, let's assume that it's the, the wife who doesn't have any assets and she has to go to a nursing home. All the husband's assets, even if they're covered under a prenuptial agreement, would still have to get spent to the nursing home then. Is that correct? I, I believe that would be Mass Health's position on it, and it would probably end up going to a court case. Um, in fact, I have, in some situations, counseled people to consider divorce. Yeah, and that's pretty much a, a sad situation when that happens, I would imagine, isn't it? It is. It's, it's not anything I enjoy. No, but the message for everyone listening today is that if you think that marriage is complicated, um, do some estate planning and do proper documents. If you think that marriage is complicated so you don't want to get married, you're just going to continue to live together, uh, that's very complicated too, isn't it? 
Yes. In other words, um, no matter what kind of a relationship you are in, you should be thinking of the future and planning for that and putting documents in place that will reflect what your wants and desires are. And the important message I want to tell folks listening today is that Attorney Tenny Lance, uh, this is what she does and this is what she helps people do. Uh, what we do at USA Wealth Group is work on the financial side. I'd like to give you a quotation from somebody named Louis Gizzard. Instead of getting married again, I'm going to find a woman I don't like and give her a house. <laughs> you like that one? Let me give you a nice All right, you quote. give us a nice quotation, Tenny. We're getting near the end of our show. You can do that. From Alfred Lord Tennyson. If I had a flower for every time I thought of you, I could walk through my garden forever. Oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that nice? That's very nice. I don't like flowers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've never been a gardener. No, just kidding. <laughs> but I have to give you a quote. You were talking earlier about the rules of living together and the importance of doing document protection apply to everybody, whether you are a heterosexual couple, same-sex couple, doesn't make any difference. So here's a quote from Kinky Friedman. I support gay marriage. I believe they have a right to be as miserable as the rest of us. <laughs> That's not exactly a closing quote, but it's getting close to our closing time. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. There are so many things that we talk about. Uh, the rules for a living today are really complicated and the rules of marriage are complicated. The rules for dying are complicated. The rules for dying are complicated. Make sure you get good advice, and, and uh, one of the best sources of that is Attorney Tenny Lance at Lance Law, Inc. I'd like to thank everyone for listening today. Remind you, you're listening to Money Wise by USA Wealth Group. Stay tuned for next week, and we'll be happy to give you some more useful information. Thank you very much.